0: We may not get all the way through it, but I, I, I think, I think there's enough here that we can get some good stuff out of. <laughs> it is scripture, right? Um, whoo, I got bright lights. All right, last week, <clears throat> last week we we kind of talked about garments and putting on righteousness and truth, and and uh, the it was in Colossians, and the as we went down in the. The verse the very last page that I was going to continue in on that I didn't get a chance to because of time, which worked out perfect because I really wanted to spend a little more time on it, um, was talking about wives and husbands, and and uh, <clears throat> I want to gain a little bit of perspective here, and like I said, I don't think I'll be able to get all the way through it, but I think that we can really grab something, even from the very beginning of it, and I'll tell you this, that... that uh, That traditionally when, when I've read this, and maybe you have as well, that you you look at it from a very earthly perspective as far as husbands and wives go. And the more I read it and the more I studied it, the more I saw that it's really like we do with a lot of things, we put the cart before the horse. When when I mentioned grace to people, sometimes, especially now when people um, some some people will kind of attack grace as though it's greasy grace or slippery grace or some kind of special grace. I don't know. They make up some new name for it. License to sin. Um, when people say that to me, if I get into a discussion about it, and I talk about how great it is and they're like, well, yeah, I believe in grace, but... <laughs> but I don't believe it's a license to sin. My I used to argue, but I don't argue much anymore because I'm exhausted. <laughs> and it usually, it's usually doesn't get anywhere. Um, but now... Either my response, depending on the person, is well, you don't really understand what grace is. <laughs> if you have to say that, then you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't fully comprehend exactly what grace is because grace isn't a license to sin. People sin without a license every day. Trust me, it's okay. You don't. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to put up bumpers for people, especially when you're preaching freedom. You say, okay, well, yes, this, but you always want to throw a butt in there. Keep your butts out. <laughs> Just say just say <laughs> you, you are free and, and from that place you need to find out what you're free to do and, and what you're free for um, and the same thing happens when we talk about discipline when you talk about discipline people tense up right? E, discipline and the same thing with submit when we talk about submission Ah, ain't submitting to nobody tell me to submit the same thing I, I look at that the same way I look at grace you don't understand what, what's really being said here Because this isn't just a lesson about marriage. That's not what he's talking about. Uh, Paul's writing to uh, the Colossians not just about a marriage. He's talking about the marriage, the marriage of Christ and his church. It's he's the husband, we're the wives. (laughs) Sorry, fellas, we have to be part of the wife too. The bride. We are the brides. So when he talks about Colossians 3.18, we, we can't look at it in reverse because what happens if we look at it in reverse, we begin to make God the Father the Godfather, <laughs> right? We begin to turn our picture and our heads of what God is to be what we've, rep- what we've seen represented in, in, on earth and in our relationships. And unfortunately, many of us have seen broken relationships, right? Many of, many of, many of us have seen poor versions of what a marriage should look like. Some of us, some of us have seen great versions of that. But none of us is as great as the, the true marriage, which is Christ and his church. So when we, we flip those things the way they should be, it makes a lot more sense. And you don't have to get all uptight. I don't want anybody to rush the stage. <laughs> uh, so Colossians 3.18 says, and I'm, I'm going to read out of the message just because I like the way it says it. Um, it says, wives, understand and support your husbands. <laughs> understand is pretty funny. Understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. And it's not talking about him, it's talking about Christ. In ways that honor Christ. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Now this is reiterated in Ephesians 5.21. <clears throat> it says, out of respect for Christ, be courteous, courteously reverent to one another. Wives, there it is again, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife in the way that Christ does to his church, not by domineering but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as He exercises such leadership, wives should likely submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out for your, go all out and in, in your love for your wives, uh, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love. Me- Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Listen, <clears throat> you have to paint this picture first as Christ in the church before you can ever even begin to touch on it as A husband and a wife in in our physical realm. Because if you do it the the opposite way, there will be much argument and much much diversity there. When all he's trying to do is show unity within the body. A common thought in our culture, a common thing that I've seen, especially on social media, is, is a very consumer mindset of church. And what happens is we begin to reach out for what we like about either churches or denominations or styles. And we leave what we don't like. And we can do this from a distance. Even if we attend a church, we can do it from a distance and never make any deep, meaningful connections. Why? Because that takes some effort and it takes some understanding and some forgiveness. That's a little more difficult. But if we can stand back and, and just dip our toes into this church thing, kind of flirting, <laughs> then it's easier if something goes awry to bail, right? It's easier to pull out. And I'm not just talking about church structure, but the church as a whole, the big C church. I read this, <clears throat> this is a quote from somebody, I have no idea who he is, so I'm not advocating him or his book or whatever he wrote, but uh, it's from something called The Church of Facebook, How the hyper-connected or Redefining Community, and it says, we'd rather be consumers of relationships, taking the parts we want and leaving out the parts we don't, than face dealing with all of home's demands and benefits, talking about the church and the relationships built within them. <clears throat> And so unfortunately we scratch our heads and wonder why we can't seem to find the kind of community experience we're looking for, all the while remaining willfully adolescent in our relational habits. And what he's saying there is we can commit as long as we agree. This is another problem, and especially in our super, our, our hyper social media culture is if you disagree with me, you hate me. Somehow that's creeped in to where if we have a disagreement, then our relationship is broken. And it shouldn't be that way. Disagreement builds character and builds relationship because then you are forced to either forgive someone or walk away from them. And that helps. If, if you don't get into deep, meaningful relationships like that, it's much easier. That's why the whole religion versus relationship, I don't know why we've thrown, we've kind of thrown the church in with the bath, thrown the church out with the bathwater with that. Yes, we want relationship. We don't want just an organized religion, but we need to be able to come together beyond styles of worship or um, differences of, opin- of opinions on some surfacey things because that will grow in character in us and that will develop a good, re- a good healthy relationship. Now, we take that in the church and then we, we, we mirror that in our relationships and our marriages. Listen, your marriage will not be healthy if you're depending on your spouse to agree with you all the time. If that's what you're depending on to to, to base a successful relationship, good luck with that. It ain't going to work. Here's another common myth. If you're depending on the other person, you're doing like this 50-50 thing. Or if you're depending on the other person to fulfill all your needs, good luck with that too. It's like two ticks and no dog. (laughs) You're going to be perpetually frustrated and malnourished. You both have to depend 100% on the Father and then pour that love out on each other, and that's a successful relationship. This is with the way that Christ does from the church. When we talk about submitting, we look at the example that was given us, and I've got plenty of them here. So how does the, how does the husband go all out in love for his bride? So how does Christ go all out in love for the church? He's first in everything. He's the first to love. 1 John four nineteen says, we love because he first loved us. We talk about it all the time in here. This is not an affectionate love. This is agape love. This is unconditional love that seeks others' best interest out above our own. If, if I say something about uh, uh, discipline or, or, I don't know why I'm talking about discipline, submission, we'll just talk about submission. If I say something about submission, and you begin to perk up, you don't fully understand what submission is because submission is not uh, willfully allowing someone to take advantage of you for the sake of um, now I don't want to say it that way let me give you the example first he, we love because he first loved us John 13 33 says my children I will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as I told the Jews so I tell you where I'm going you cannot go a new command I give you love one another as I loved you so you must love one another. Now, what's interesting here on verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. But then I thought, in Leviticus, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. How is it a new command that Jesus is giving if Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself? That's rhetorical. You can answer if you want to, but I'm about to. It's a new command because it's not the same type of love. That was a command that gained that gained you merit. Now you don't have to do something to merit God's love for you. He's given you the ability to love other people outside of yourself. Does that make sense? It's not do this and I'll do that like the old covenant. If you do this, then I'll do that. Now it's I've done everything, rest in me, take what I've given you and give it to everybody else. This is a new command because you, you didn't even understand that kind of love because I hadn't given it to you yet because Christ hadn't died up until that point. So that's why it's a new command. It's a new command because how he, he didn't want to command us to do something that we couldn't do. Now he's given us an ability to do it. Do you see the difference? So now we have a new command to love people outside of ourselves because Christ loved him, loved us outside of himself. He was in the garden saying, Lord, if there's any way we can do this another way, let's do that, please. (laughs) But if not, what did he say? I submit to you. He's the first one to submit before we ever submitted. No, I submit my will to you. And even though I'm the God of all creation, I will hang myself on this cross I will be hung on this cross for you because that's how committed I am to this thing. This is who I am. So this is the new command he gives us. He's the first to serve. John 13, 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. The Father had given him all authority. Think about this. Imagine God comes to you and he says, Hey, I've given you all authority and all power on heaven and earth. What's your first thing you're going to do? Lots of things may fill your head, and if you keep reading, you'll see what what Jesus did. It says, knowing knowing all the authority that, that God had given him, he got up from his meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Here we are again. The creator of the universe is kneeling down in front of a filthy human foot and washing it. So he's he's demonstrating that that this is God's heart for people is to love one another and serve one another. He's first to forgive. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So he forgives us. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. There was no, especially most of us Gentiles, <laughs> we certainly didn't. We, were, we weren't even God's chosen people. We were complete outsiders to the, to the first covenant. Now we're included in the second, and he forgives us too. So he's the first to do it. This is the husband being the first to do these things for the bride. I will serve you. I don't have to, but I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you, <laughs> and I'm going to die for you. This is the the love that God has for us. There was no worse way to die than to be stripped naked, flogged, nailed to a splintery cross, and hung up to suffer a slow death as a public spectacle. But in a superior sense, the cross was the epitome of glory, both for the Father and the Son. To glorify God is to magnify or display his perfect attributes. At the cross, God's love and grace were magnified like no other occasion in history. So what the world could have looked at as a complete failure was a complete victory. Listen, as a, I don't want to paint myself as a big, strong man, but as a big, strong man, as a husband, you should go all out in love for your wife and pour yourself out for her. You should build her up in the way that you speak to her. You should build her up in everything that you do, and you should love her unconditionally. This is only beneficial to you, and I'm I'm going to drop this down to a very basic level, so bear with me here and I'll bring it back up to to where it should be but listen it's only beneficial for you guys that are married to love your wives and to build them up now hear me i'm not saying this so that <laughs> do this so that because that goes back to conditional transactional love and that's not what i'm talking about here's what can happen if you fall into those cycles not only not only will you try to do things so that you can gain something from that person which is a broken system but you can also withhold affection and cause much more damage than even if you gave some. Does that make sense? If what I've seen happen is in relationships, if you withhold affection from someone, then they begin to withhold affection from you because there's something broken there. And you can have something in the back of your head that you think, this person has bothered me, but you're not communicating what's going on. And so then you withhold affection. And now they're mad at you. And so they withhold affection. You draw more and more distant, right? That's transactional. That's trading. That's not how marriage relationships should work. You should go to Christ and look at what he did for you and then pour that out on your spouse. Every time. Every time, I say every time. Not every time, sometimes I'm stubborn and it takes me a while. I'm just being honest. Most of the time. And, and when, when, I'm, when I'm where I need to be in my, w- with understanding who, who the Lord is and what he's done for me, Every time I go to the Lord with some kind of thing that I need to pray for with, uh, with Tracy and I's relationship, he reminds me of what he's done for me, and then I go, oh, that was a pretty selfish thing of me. I don't know why I'm praying to you for that because I'm the jerk. <laughs> Sorry, a little peek into my crazy brain. Um, but I guarantee you if, you, if you take this to Christ and you say, okay, I'm struggling with this, whatever it's going on in a relationship, um, especially in marriage because that's the most intimate relationship we have, um, outside of our relationship with the Lord, he will continually, <laughs> lovingly throw that back at you, like, hey, remember me? <laughs> remember what I did? That's what you're supposed that's how this is supposed to be like. You remember this whole marriage thing? It's not what you're thinking, it's what I'm thinking, right? It's not your perception of my reality. <laughs> Open your eyes. So what looked like a failure was an absolute success. Um, trying to skip some for time's sake. All right, let's 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 go back to the church thing because I'm kind of getting off topic, and just I say getting off topic, but talking about just marriages. I want to go back to the church thing. Um, there is there is a strength that I think we neglect in coming together, and I seriously like the last last Sunday the worship night, and even this morning, every time I look at something about these chairs, every time I look at these chairs from a distance, they look gray. In certain lights, they look kind of tan. But when you look at the fibers in the chairs, they're really tightly woven, and so they all blend together. And it was so vivid to me when I was praying that that how, how clear the unity it, in the midst of diversity is and how important it is in, in our church and in all, in, in all churches, I think. And my big soapbox about denominations and, and cultural barriers uh, I can't tell you how strongly I feel about this, that the, the, the success here's, the success that we see mostly in our culture is how many people that you have or how many activities that you do or how big your building is. There is a, 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 a false success uh, picture that's painted in our, in our minds about churches that I think is way off and, and is crippling the church. Because the success rate should be measured in relationship and how strong those relationships are within that body. And what happens is when we when we find that and we can grab onto it in church, then it can manifest itself in our lives for everything else. And we're not looking for our own ability to be right and somebody else to be wrong, and our own ability to. Um, it, 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 who you, I think Brian says we move in cheese. We're moving your cheese. Don't want to move your cheese around. Uh, the goal for the Christian is not to convince somebody that you're right and they're wrong. The goal is to restore a relationship with the Father. And in order to do that, you have to have a relationship with them because you're demonstrating that relationship that the Father has given you. We have to get out of this right-wrong thing or this win-lose thing and get back into the win-win thing <laughs> because when we are operating from, from the Lord and in the kingdom, it's win for us and it's win for them and it's a win for the Lord. And that's very counterintuitive to the way that we operate in our culture. Somebody's got to lose here. We always feel like somebody's got to lose here, and you don't. If the goal becomes relationship, then our cheese is moved. <laughs> if the goal is relationship now, then we build upon that. We build upon that, and things begin to actually flourish instead of pulling back. When we just have these groups that are based on uh, some demographic because, and this is tough, man. I don't want to, I'm not trying to call any specific way of doing ministry out necessarily but if we're just going to do things based on you know I'm this age and I've got this age of kid and I've got this or separate all these things well listen um, the the older generation needs to, needs to gain some of that zeal from the younger generation that passion and the younger generation needs to learn from the experience of the older generation and we can't divide all this stuff up and, we, and the people that don't have similar interests need to talk to people that have other interests and get to know them because there may be something that they can gain from them We don't need to constantly divide each other up inside churches, especially outside churches, with denominations and styles and similar interests. We should be unified in Christ, not just in the way that we do things. Christ unifies us, not just the the little things that we do. Yes, will you gravitate to people that you have similar interests? Sure, there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is if we don't see outside of our own little bubble, we can let people fall through the cracks, and then now where are they going if they don't have a group that they fit in? Now what? what? What's going to happen to them? And, and I'm not going to go off the deep end with that, but it can go in lots of different directions when they feel like outsiders, when they feel like affection has been withheld from them because they don't fit a certain demographic of a certain style of people. And this has trickled down from the whole suit and tie type of church to now it's, it's more accepted to have a more relaxed atmosphere or to have a band instead of a hymnal or vice versa or whatever it is, or to have more small groups that are more oriented around certain things. Listen, there's nothing wrong with those things specifically, but if we make those things what we build our church on, then when one of those things fails, the church falls apart. Same thing with the pastor. If the church is built on the, the charisma or the, the style or the, uh, the personality of the pastor, what happens when the pastor steps down, or the pastor leaves and the church falls apart because it's not built on the rock, which is Christ? Listen, I should be able to step, and I don't want to, <laughs> I should be able to step down, you know, for a month or two or for whatever, and somebody else step in, and you guys keep going because you have such strong relationships that this church begins to move. It happened when, when Mark left it. it. It crushed us all. Um, but at the same time, this is family. When Trace and I prayed about it, when Mark came to us and we're like, hey, do you want to do this? And we're like, I don't know. I don't know if we do or not. We prayed about it, we're like, of course we do. Where else are we going to go? This is our family. I mean, we're not going to leave. What would we do? That's what church should be like. In the same way, we should not look at other churches as competition and try to compete with one another. That's a broken system. We should love them unconditionally, the way we love each other unconditionally. Eey. that stings a little bit. I'm just—I I'm, was me. I wasn't talking about—I wasn't trying to relay that on you, but it stings me a little bit because sometimes I can be critical. I can be critical of other churches. When when we When we don't come together and and build relationships and have conflict, our relationships become very shallow and are easily pulled away from. I don't think that's how Christ has made it to be. He saw how screwed up we were, and he still came down and he died for us. He saw how messed up our thinking was. He got frustrated with us. You can see throughout Scripture, Jesus was frustrated with people. Listen, I'm going to tell you this too. Let's see, where did I put it? oh I wanted you to look at the diversity there it is look at the diversity this is this is the diversity of the church and this is what we should be looking at the the diversity among the of, of, of Jesus apostles he chose Simon the zealot zealots were a radical political group that used violence force and deception to try to achieve their goal of liberating Palestine from the from Roman rule they refused to pay taxes and they attacked the And they attacked and murdered government officials, especially the hated tax collectors. So they're running out trying to to murder and and persecute the tax collectors. And then Jesus chooses Matthew, the tax collector. (laughs) Tax collectors had sold their souls to Rome. They milked the Jewish people out of their money. And in order to line their own pockets, you you could not have put two men of more diverse backgrounds into the same group if you had tried. These are the men that Jesus is telling to love one another that kind of love would be conspicuous. Listen, the Bible says that we, the way that people will recognize us is how? How will people recognize Christians? Because we have love for one another. This is how they'll recognize that. No more diverse people could this be. I love the story of when Jesus comes to the woman of the well. You know that because I've preached it like 20 times. But I love that he sends his disciples into Samaria to get some food. And Jesus wasn't even hungry. He's telling her about, you don't even have to thirst because I'm a living water. He's, he wasn't hungry. He wanted to send them to Samaria because they were racist and they hated Samarians. Right. It was essentially like us sending a racist into an, an area of people that they hate. He was, he, he was multitasking, something Tracy says I can't do. <laughs> and she's right, I can't. He was saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minister to this woman. You guys aren't going to benefit much from this. I think you could benefit from something else. Go into Samaria. And find me some food. <laughs> can you imagine them like with their hands on their, they probably do not have pockets in their robes. <laughs> hey, can we get some food? And they're like, what are you doing in our neighborhood? You know what I mean? Listen, we, <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing in our church? You don't, you don't do this like we do it. What are you doing in my neighborhood? You don't look like me. It's the same way. We've got to think outside ourselves here. When, when, we, uh, when we have church and it's, and it's the most segregated, Gated time of the week, that's a problem. Um, when we have church and we separate on our, on our styles of teaching or worship or anything like that, of our own, I guess, consumer mindset, we have a problem. If we can't come together on something, be unified on something, then there's a problem. That, I don't think that's a healthy church. Listen, we merged two churches together in, uh, on Easter, and both churches have a completely separate history uh, of, of people that have, have been around each other for a long time and it takes time to get to know each other and we're continuing to get to know each other we're continuing to reach, reach out and I, I have, our family is growing and it's a good thing and it's exciting and as we do this, we, we've had even in the midst of it, it's funny because we've had visitors around the same time that we merged and both, both of the previous churches that are now one church, are not sure if we're visitors or we're from the other <laughs> church it's like, have I met you? Are you from, wait, who are you? <laughs> you know? But what's cool is we're getting to know each other. We're, we're, we're learning to live outside ourselves and not focus so much on the way that we do things but how we treat one another. And that's, that's if there's anything that I, that I strive for in our church is to put that above everything else. Because as we do that, we begin to, just like we talked about when we were worshiping, we begin to bear each other's burdens and we're not looking at Color of skin, difference of backgrounds, difference of styles, difference of whatever—we um, are actually looking at people, and we are looking at people that God loves. And it's a really fun thing when you do family that way. And I posted something about it the other week. We don't—you well, never—I don't really go to family unions, but you never go to family reunion and try to try to judge them. Like, how many people do you have in your family? Like, that's a—that's a, like, that's successful if you have a lot of people. No, we, we, we—you know. We we look at that and how healthy the relationships in there. How how good do you guys how well do you guys get along with each other and 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 actually have family reunions and come together and get along. We talked last week about being unoffendable. You can't do that on your own. <laughs> You're gonna be offended eventually. But through the Holy Spirit you can be unoffendable. Listen, that trickles down from the whole marriage thing. When you begin to work with your spouse in a way that you were building them up and they're building you up, it, it becomes a lighter load. It's not as stressful, and you can live outside of yourself, and you can build them up outside of yourself because you're not just looking to fill your needs. Now you're looking to fill the other person's needs. I've done a few. I've done a pretty good bit of marriage ceremonies more than I thought I would do after um, being ordained. And <clears throat> I've, I've I, first I kind of copied Mark's uh, structure of of because I'd never done it before, so I didn't know what to do. Um, and so I, I kind of copied his example of. Uh, of the difference between covenant and contract, and is very good, but the more I began to talk to people in marriage and understanding things, I began to see things, um, and I began to, to see things the way that I've seen them and started talking more about love, and what I've seen is a, a growth in my understanding of it ministering to people that are about to get married because I've been married for a long time. It doesn't mean I have it all together I'm, or I've got it perfect, but what I've learned is I've slowly started to shift from uh, someone else's style or perspective to my own and understanding that, and what will happen is when you begin to understand it in a way that you can understand it, now you can build other people up in relationships that you have. And it's not just something that you're taking from a a structured way of doing it, but it's genuine Holy Spirit-led teaching and loving. Um, I've skipped around so much, I don't know where I am. Something about leading, being first in love is what Christ did for us. It leads in forgiveness. It's in First Corinthians it talks about love, and this is one of the verses I use a lot in the marriage ceremonies is love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. it does not seek its own, it is not provoked. It does not take into account wrong suffering. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I said during worship that there's no defense for love. You can argue with somebody until you're blue in the face, and they may never come to know the Lord through an argument. I've known very few, if any, that have have really come to know the Lord through an argument. But I've known many people and many of you that have invested in people's lives, and they have come to know the Lord through relationships, through understanding that you genuinely care for them and you want the best for them. That will change somebody's life from the inside out. If you want to put outward constraint on people, you you can modify their behavior for a time, a period, but as soon as that thread is lifted, they're going to do what's in their heart. We talk about this all the time. Inward transformation will always trump outward constraint. Grace is always going to trump law, and truth is always going to trump a lie. It's always going to happen that way. So when you speak truth about the gospel to people, the manifestation of that, the the outward expression of that is going to be a, a radically changed life. And the cool thing is, it's not boring. (laughs) Because when you preach the good news, signs and miracles often accompany that. And you'll be shocked at how those miracles begin to pop up around you. And you're like, I don't, and here's the thing, be careful with this. You can say, well, I don't feel any different. You don't have to feel any way. You don't have to work this up. You don't have to have butterflies in your stomach. The band doesn't have to hit a certain note. Listen. You can move in the spirit at any moment, any given time. You can pray at any moment, any given time, and the Lord can move in that person. Listen, I've seen more miracles in some of the shortest prayers that I've ever prayed than some of the longest, most drawn-out, you know, bawling-my-eyes-out prayers. It's not a system. It's not a key. I'm not telling you to shorten your prayers so that people can get healed. Um, Tell them we're praying for them, whoever that is. (laughs) Tell them to be healed. But I'll tell you this, and this is this is something that happened yesterday. Um, <laughs> this is kind of funny, so we'll end on a light note. But our cousin Rhonda, we were at the Danny's helping them with the schoolhouse thing, doing some stuff, and and we were just kind of hanging out there, working and playing, let the kids play, and we got a call. Tracy came in, and she's got a, a co-worker named Rhonda, and then our cousin's name's Rhonda. She came in, and she said Tracy's crying. She said Rhonda just went to the hospital. She had a real bad headache, and she's had two seizures. And immediately we, pay, you know, we've heard, we've we've experienced some bad stuff with that, so we're just like, oh no! So we bolted and went to the hospital. And on the way, Tracy's mom said, uh, "Hey, I just want to let you know because you know you're her pastor and you go to her church, you might want to go see her." And I was like, "She's our cousin. I would go see her." I like, I wasn't gonna go see her, but since I'm her pastor, I gotta go see her. Like, what are you talking about? So we're like, we're on our way, and uh, so we went. And then we got there, and Tracy's aunt said, uh, well, we called every pastor that we could think of. She named off three, three I was included in three or four pastors, and, and none of them were there. So I, was, when I, I jokingly said, well, I don't know anything about those pastors, and I'm not trying to insinuate anything, but I know that several pastors were called, and I, and I showed up, and I prayed for her, and she's going home. That's all I know. I'm just saying, and she's okay. That's all I'm saying. There was one pastor that was here. And she's going home tonight, so that's, I'm just going to leave that where it is. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I mean, and I'm not saying that I prayed for her, and, and I hope that it, it was. I mean, I, just, I gave her a simple prayer, a kingdom prayer, and, you know, the next thing we heard, she was going home. So, I mean, she was fine, and they don't know why she had a seizure. So, I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know what happened or how to explain it, but I'll take it, right? Amen. Same thing with Deborah's knee. I don't know how God fixed it, but he fixed it. Listen, and... Listen, what that does is it grows me in boldness to pray for somebody else, and it grows her faith in, in who Jesus is in her. It's, it's not complicated. A Win-win. It's a win-win. And listen, if you... <laughs> be careful with this. <laughs> if, you, if you are aware, because God's constantly the same, but he's constantly moving. If you're aware of what's going on in the kingdom, in this, in this other realm that makes me sound like I'm talking about a movie, realms in this other realm, in this kingdom realm, if you're constantly, if your awareness is is heightened to it, um, you'll begin to see things like that, and you're going to go, this is kind of weird, but, I say that a lot, this is kind of weird, but, <laughs> I feel like I need to pray for you, this is kind of odd, but the Lord's telling me this thing, and man, he's, he's always faithful, and if something doesn't happen in that moment, don't be discouraged, because that, that person knows that they are loved by the Lord, and they're loved by you, whether they are healed or not. That's win-win again. You're not hurting anything, it's not, you're, their faith is not based on your ability to perform a miracle. And any time that you pray for someone, the Holy Spirit is going and something is happening. You don't know what it is. It could be a week from now, a month from now, or two years from now. Someone may come up to them and say, hey, I need to pray for you for this. And it may be a confirmation of what you prayed for them five years previously. You never saw the, a bit of fruit from it, but someone else did. Because guess who makes it grow? Not you. You just cast out seeds. The Bible tells us, you cast out the seeds. Some, some will do this. Some will do that. Some will do that. Don't worry about that because you can't make it grow anyway. Right. Cast seeds all day, every day. <laughs> Cast them. Don't worry about if they if they grow good. If they don't grow, don't worry about it. It's not your ability to 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 do that because God is the one that makes that stuff grow. Stand up with me. You get me excited. I'm gonna start. We're gonna go ten minutes over. Father, I thank you that we can not stress out about how we uh, how we cast the seeds, Lord. But we just cast them. We just throw them out there, Lord. And and uh, and Lord, I want to. For some reason, you just <laughs> this is weird. But for some reason, you just threw <laughs> you just <laughs> you threw a wrench into everything. You just threw a picture of a wrench at me. I don't know why you did that. Um, actually, I do. I want to. I told you it was weird when you when you let the Holy Spirit lead. I told you it was weird, and then you're going to demonstrate. All right. I feel like the Lord is, is, is wanting me to pray for husbands or, or men specifically today. That wasn't where I was going, but here we are. Uh, I uh be how can I say be uh be careful in using work uh, as a as a bit of a crutch or an excuse to not. Spend some quality time with your family, or your wife, or your kids. Now, listen, be careful. I'm not. I'm not saying don't work. Work, provide for your family. And some of us have to be gone. I have to be gone some, with travel, um, and and sometimes that's required of us. I'm not saying that. But there are also times when I'm at home that I can 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 get carried away with working on things, or or you know, rent. I like to wrench on stuff, and I'll work on stuff, and that's my kind of peaceful place. Um, but I've learned over the years that when it's time. It's time to drop the wrench and to to get to the family and spend some time with them and to to have patience with my kids and to show them, you know, I, I'm, I'm to show them along the way of how I'm doing things and and take the time to to spend time with them in the midst of of, of everything else that's going on. Uh, it's hard because I, sometimes I get tunnel vision and I want to just do. I need to get the things done that I need to get done. So, guys, I know from personal experience. I can get in this in this. This uh, routine of just work, 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 work and, uh, and I, can, I can be there but not be there if you know what I mean um, and so some of us that's our phones it's not just a wrench my work, mo- several of my jobs require me to have my phone and that can keep me attached to work all the time and I have customers calling me or I have people in the church texting and calling and needing things And so sometimes you need to put the phone down and, and, uh, and just focus on your wife uh, take her out on a date. Focus on your kids. Just teach them something, show them something, and spend some time with them. Um, this is real practical advice. I so don't, don't make. I'm not trying to make it super spiritual. This is just something that I've. Uh, the Holy Spirit's just wanted me to tell somebody, I guess. So, uh, just take some of those moments, and I'm not telling you. Don't feel guilty about, you know, working and providing for your family. But take some of those moments and just spend some time with your family and your kids, and, and just love them and and uh, just stir up that, that joy and love that, that started that family. So I'll leave that there. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you for, uh, for, for your willingness to submit on our behalf, for you taking the first step in all of those things to forgive, for taking the first step to love, for taking the first step to submit. So now when we do it, we're just responding to what you've already done. We're not trying to manufacture it or do it so that you'll love us more. We're responding because you've already done it in us. And so when we submit and when we love and when we forgive, we do it because you've given us the ability to do that. And so it is a new command because now we have a Holy Spirit that can help us through it. Lord, open our eyes to the kingdom. Open our eyes to the divine appointments and open our eyes to those that are around us that we can build up and love. In Jesus' name, amen.